rather than moving the cash, what investors should be considering is taking advantage of the disconnects that we're seeing in the market, taking advantage of you know bonds that are trading at a discount relative to the fair market value. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. In this episode, Mark Race, head of product at BMO Global Asset Management Canada, speaks with his colleague and fixed income expert, Alfred Lee. Together, they discuss whether a market rally can hold, even as confirmed cases of COVID-19 continue to rise, and whether investors should move to cash, hold steady, or trade up in quality on the fixed income side of their portfolio. Hello, I'm your host, Mark Ray. I'm the head of product for BMO Game Canada, covering ETFs and mutual funds. And today, I'm joined by Alfred Lee, portfolio manager of BMO ETFs, focusing on fixed income, but as well our portfolio strategists. So Alfred, let's begin. Can you give us an update on markets, focusing on the last week, but on fixed income in particular? After all the fear in the marketplace and uncertainty over the COVID-19 virus, markets made a surprising recovery over the course of the week, at least until Friday anyways. But at the same time, it's it's pretty confusing because we're seeing a lot come out around the U.S. becoming the new focal point or New York City is now suddenly becoming the epicenter of, of cases. But at the same time, that's, that's getting contrasted with the massive stimulus packages that are being announced and, and, of course, what's going on in the bond market. So what drove the jump? And does it look sustainable to you or do you think we're just going to be walking into more volatility and downside? Thanks. Yeah, it's a great question, Mark. Um, so, you know, last week was definitely a risk-taking week. So if you look at the February the February highs in the equity markets, you know, I, I think what drove uh, the rally in risk assets last week essentially uh, started with the fixed income market. So again, you know, when you look at the equity markets from the February highs, it was one of the fastest bear markets on record. But then, you know, you go into last week and the rally between Tuesday and Thursday was essentially the fastest fastest bull market on record, with the Dow Jones gaining uh, 21.3% between Tuesday and Thursday. So, essentially, I, I think you know what drove all of this was the fixed income market. So, you know, as you know, the Fed announced its corporate bond buying program on Monday of last week, and you know, as we mentioned on the previous calls, not only in the week last week but the week before that, uh, some of the challenges that we've been seeing in the corporate bond market has been because you know inventory or dealers have been running into issues with inventory so essentially running out of balance sheet space so this has essentially caused the corporate bond market to to freeze and as dealers have essentially run into you know lack of inventory space they have essentially run out of the capacity to to bid for bonds and where they have been bidding for bonds uh, they have been bidding a very low price so and this is essentially the same thing as, you know, if you're out there trying to sell your house and everybody's selling at the same time, uh, you're not going to get a fair price you know, for that asset that you're selling. So I think with the Fed coming in in the last week and announcing that they're going to be buying corporate bonds, I think that essentially creates a large scale buyer in the market, which essentially 
frees up a lot of the inventory space for a lot of the dealers in the market. So, you know, say, for example, if you're an asset allocation account and you've been trying to rebalance your portfolio and get off of, you know, something like fixed income in order to fund your equity risk, um, now you essentially have liquidity to get off your bonds and move back into equities. I also think it's a very, it's a positive for corporate bonds as well. I think, you know, as uh, liquidity has been freed up in the market, um, a lot of bond investors, especially in the corporate bond market, have essentially stepped back into the market, trying to take advantage of you know, the disconnect that we're seeing between you know, the fundamental prices of bonds and where the traded price of bonds actually are over the last couple of weeks. Right. Thank you, Alfred. Before I ask the next question, because it's going to relate to trading, I just want to reemphasize some of the trading tips that we have put out there. First being avoiding trading on the open and close of the market. Uh, That simply allows the market to settle and lets the underlying securities that make up the portfolio start to trade, so you get better trading on the ETF, avoiding the open and close. Of course, always use limit orders. Uh, That allows you to start to dictate where you want to transact. Just keep in mind, you may have to revisit that limit order uh, over the course of the day, but opposed to a market price where you simply just get where the market is, is either bidding or offering. This allows you to have better control over your transaction. And the other one that I really want to emphasize is just being aware of the heightened market volatility that's occurring. That does mean that spreads are are wider, but it also means prices are moving faster and at a greater magnitude day by day. So that really ties into that limit order conversation uh, that you're really going to have to revisit your trade uh, over the course of the day. So, Alfred, Let's dig a little deeper into fixed income. Last week, we spoke about the difference between NAV and market price and how corporate bonds market prices were at, were at a quite a discount. Can you comment on how that has moved and perhaps tightened in the last week and just uh, reemphasize for everyone uh, how that mechanism works? Just as a reminder to some of our newer listeners, you know, some of the misconceptions that have come up in recent weeks is bond ETFs and bond ETFs trading at a discount relative to their net net asset values. Um, So a lot of people have uh, questioned uh, why this has happened. And, and, you know, to to dig a little bit deeper, the reason why is because when you look at the net asset value of an ETF, uh, that's essentially constructed by using dealer quotes. Uh, So in this kind of a market, um, you know, as we can attest to by being in markets, those levels that they're using for the NAV calculation are not executable levels. Um, so typically what you find in these stress markets is you know, the NAV will essentially uh, lag the actual traded price of an ETF because in, in this kind of a market, uh, the ETF is actually going to be the better uh, mechanism for price discovery uh, in this kind of a market. So, you know, as a reminder, you know, when the underlying market is in trading, uh, one thing the ETF can do is that it could dislocate from its price and essentially find a level where buyers are willing to step in, which is essentially what we've been seeing. And that's the reason why we've been seeing uh, ETFs trade at a discount up until last week or so. In, in relation to you know how those discounts have been moving, over the last week, we saw some of those discounts uh, essentially tighten up uh, relative to their net asset values uh, up to Thursday. And the reason why is because you know, when, when uh, you look at the ETF, the ETF is essentially working off of, you know, the natural demand and supply in order to find that fair value of where the underlying value of the assets should be trading. So essentially, you know, what we've been seeing in the last um, in the last week is, 
not only less selling, so less you know investors seeking to find bond liquidity uh, through ETS, but we actually actually saw some buyers step into the market as well. Uh, what's been more interesting is that you know corporate bond ETFs were selling at a bigger discount, given that you know, that's where we've been seeing the liquidity issues. Uh, aggregate bond ETFs have been trading at the discount as well, just because they do have a corporate element. But you know, more interestingly, what I find is that high yield has been trading at a tighter discount relative to its net asset value, uh, just because we've seen uh, some distressed debt buyers come into the market, and we've seen some risk taking in in that area, just because uh, credit spreads have, have widened, and you you see uh, risk takers essentially try to take advantage of those wider uh, credit spreads. But you know, without a doubt, last week, given that the risk taking we've seen in the market. Uh, the discounts relative to their net asset values uh, tightened last week. All right. Thank you, Alfred. I think that's very insightful for everyone listening. So clearly different parts of the bond market are, are acting differently. And I think I think we can get into slightly more detail on it within the context as well of, of the aggregate bond exposures. But we've seen the Fed now come out with their, their announcement that they're going to act in the corporate bond market, where they're going to be focused on the short end and on U.S. issuers. We haven't heard much on the Canadian side of things. Do you think there's going to be a follow-through there? And and how does this translate the sort of positioning or opportunity? I think it's probably too early to say corporate bonds are on sale, investment grade. Uh, but, it, but it certainly looks interesting when you watch the price movement last week. Thank you. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you know, that Fed move, I think, was, uh, was a pretty big move. You know, uh, when you look at, you know, what they did, it was – is essentially very different from you know their typical playbook. Their typical playbook, as uh, you know, as we saw in 2008, uh, essentially focused on uh, government uh, bonds. So this is the first time that they're you know going out further in the risk spectrum and actually going out and buying corporate bonds. But I think you know given the regulatory changes that we saw in, uh, after the 2008 crisis, so you know most notably the Dodd Frank rule and, and more specifically the Volcker rule, this was you know my, in my opinion this was an essential move by the Fed. In order to unlock, you know, the dealer balance sheets and you know the freeze that we've seen in the corporate bond market over the last couple of weeks, so I think uh, in, in terms of Canada, we haven't seen that move into the corporate bond space yet. Uh, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that uh, Canada tends to be a little bit more prudent or a little bit more um, conservative in, in terms of uh, their monetary policy. So, you know, this is the first time that we've stepped into QE. Uh, so this is the first time that the Bank of Canada has announced that they're going to be buying bond pro, uh, or buying bonds altogether. Uh, but right now, uh, the intention of the Bank of Canada is to focus on on just government bonds. Uh, there is some speculation that they may uh, buy corporate bonds, uh, but as of right now, that's entirely just speculation at this point. Uh, but I, I think even even with the Fed move alone, uh, that should help with liquidity to a degree. Um, you know, say for example, if you are an asset allocation account and you need to fund liquidity at this point, at least you could fund liquidity by selling uh, U.S. investment grade bonds. So it should lessen the pressure in the Canadian bond market, even though it is, you know, a small magnitude. Uh, but I, I think in this market, every little bit is going to help. Uh, in terms of your question towards curve positioning, um, especially in the corporate bond space at this point, I would focus on the shorter end. Um, so most notably inside the 10 years. And, you know, the reason why I say that is because you know, the shorter end, especially the one to five years, that tends to be the most liquid part of the corporate bond space. In addition to that, when you look at the universe 
in the in the short space, it tends to be a higher quality issuer. So, you know, a lot of banks in there, a lot of finance companies. Uh, the other concern I, I would have in, in terms of taking duration exposure at this point is that, you know, if the banks come out, if the central banks come out with additional monetary policy measures, or if the government, you know, introduces, you know, some sort of new fiscal policy, that's going to induce a lot of investors to take risk, which would cause the yield curve to steepen at this point. So I'd be a little bit hesitant to add to long duration exposure at this point. Okay, thank you, Alfred. Now let's let's broaden the conversation a little bit and add cash into the conversation, where we've all taken part in debates over the last couple of weeks about going to cash or having gone to a certain level of cash. Is it too late at this point when we look at last week's move, or or really are we thinking more about waves and heightened volatility? You know, as we hear about second and third outbreaks of of this disease potentially over over the summertime, uh, depending on what occurs with social distancing. So, what should an investor consider in terms of building up a cash balance? Or look at from another way: if you're cash heavy now, how should you look at this market? Is is there opportunity on the dips? Uh, is it a wait and see? Uh, just looking for your views there. And as well, probably tie it into quarter end because a lot of people are looking at rebalancing right now and thinking that their you know, their client statements are, are right around the corner. So those tough client conversations are are certainly upcoming. Thanks. Sure. So, you know, there's a, a number of questions in there. Um, but, you know, just starting with cash, I think, you know, moving into cash right now, it, it, it's a difficult decision to make because I think, you know, the markets have... Uh, come off considerably both in the equity markets and also when you look at, you know, credit spreads, even in, in the, you know, triple A and, and double A space, you know, credit spreads have widened significantly. So um, another thing to keep in mind is that, you know, if you look at the central banks and how quickly they've moved this time around, uh, it's been much faster than in 2008, right? So, you know, as a reminder, back in 2008, it took months and months before uh, the governments agreed on the TARP deal. Uh, so I think, you know, to your point before, there's, you know, one one side of the equation, which is, you know, what's going on with COVID and the infection rate, but there's also the stimulus that's being introduced to the market as well. So I think the amount of stimulus that's introduced to the market and how quickly the central banks have acted in, in recent weeks uh, should help with uh, fund, help with uh, liquidity and stabilizing the market in the short term. Um, so I think, you know, rather than moving the cash, what investors should be considering or, or, you know, one approach that they should be taking with this kind of market is, you know, taking advantage of the disconnects that we're seeing in the market, uh, you know, taking advantage of, you know, bonds that are trading at a discount relative to their to the fair market value and, you know, focusing on high quality bonds. So, you know, taking, taking advantage of the sell off and just using the opportunity to trade up in quality and, you know, improving the credit quality in your bond portfolio. So, you know, one way to do that is through our uh, BMO high-quality corporate bond ETF, ZQB. So I think, you know, by moving up in quality, that's a good way to, um, you know, take advantage of those disconnects. We have seen some selling pressure, especially in the high-quality bond space, uh, just because, you know, if you're trying to fund liquidity in this space, the quality bonds are going to be the more liquid part of the uh, corporate bond space. So we've seen you know, undue selling in, in the higher quality corporate space. And that's where we see a lot of disconnects. So I think, you know, now if you have dry powder on, on the sidelines, uh, that's a good way to take advantage of the, the sell-off. So moving to, you know, your question re- relating to quarter-end rebalancing, 
um, you know, there's going to be some rebalancing activity at the quarter end, um, especially with a lot of asset allocation accounts uh, trying to buy uh, equities and, and, you know, move into, uh, or sorry, move into equities by funding this by, uh, you know, by selling bonds. But I think, you, you know, to, to, to my point before, you know, the spreads could widen further from here. But uh, again, you know, one way to play this is, is just focusing on higher quality bonds uh, that are trading at a discount and just trading up, you know, the quality uh, credit profile in your portfolio at this point. All right. Thank you, Alfred. I think that's uh, a great recommendation you're, you're giving everyone. I think it's important to have actionable ideas come out of these calls. So ZQB, uh, if you can just take a moment again and really dive into it a little bit more. Talk about uh, the selection universe in terms of credit, why that dislocation might be advantageous, but as well, the term limit on the ETF. Thanks. Sure. So uh, with ZQB, it essentially focuses on uh, Canadian corporate bonds uh, rated A or higher. So it essentially excludes the triple B space. Uh, so I think that's a good way to play the market right now, just given that, you know, if there is any downgrades in the higher quality space, it's going to be, you know, downgraded to triple P's, which is still investment grade. Um, so that's a big difference from something from, you know, falling from triple B into non-investment grade. Uh, in terms of the selection, uh, so again, you know, we focus on uh, corporate bonds that are rated A and higher, uh, but we also focus on the more liquid uh, part of the universe being, you know, the one to 10. So uh, basically excludes the longer uh, term corporate bonds. So anything else out of 10 years is not included in the portfolio, given that you know, that segment of the universe tends to be less liquid. Great. Thank you, Alfred. I think that's uh, it's a very interesting addition to the shelf. and does complement, of course, what else we have out there uh, with our 3x3 three three grid, which really allows people to select both by credit quality and by term, short, mid-long, federal, provincial, corporate, really how they want to position their fixed income. And in markets like today's, with all this volatility, I think having those precise tools uh, is a real value add to to advisors. I'll ask you one more, a bit more specific to the to the high yield space. Of course, I know I know we have the full term high yield, but as well on the floating side of things, uh, we've got a real differentiated exposure. It's an interesting conversation right now in the U.S. Some people are are moving away from high yield and coming up to quality sleep, but. Maybe you can speak about it the other way is, is the opportunity or, or with the energy exposure and things going on in high yield, do you, do you view that as, as a place to avoid right now? Thanks. Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, you know, if you look at the energy exposure and high yield, it, it's not as high as people think. Uh, it's only 10% of the uh, index, uh, both in uh, the floating rate portfolio and also uh, ZHY and, and ZJK. You know, I, I think at this point, I think, you know, if you are trying to step in the space, your credit spreads could could widen further from here, uh, just because you know we don't know how how much longer um, you know lockdowns are going to persist uh, due to you know COVID nineteen. But you know I think if you're a longer term investor and you're willing to look out um, you know five years, seven years, I think if you look at the credit spreads in, in uh, high yield and, and also CDX, uh, you'd figure that you know credit spreads on those levels. Uh, you're not sustainable over the long term. So I think if you have a longer term outlook, now is a good time to potentially add in a small piece uh, to your portfolio, uh, knowing that it potentially could widen out further. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, when you look at the yield in the high yield space right now, it's paying close to eight, eight and a half percent. So 
um, at least you're getting compensated by uh, higher yield at this point as well. All right, thank you, Alfred. I'll ask you. Uh, I'll ask you one more as we as we look at the different fixed income opportunities. What about emerging markets where where BMO offers ZEF? Is is there a better opportunity in that space? Um, certainly, different drivers. Even though it's a higher yielding investment than we'd see in high yield, should investors be looking to that ETF at this point? Thank you. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, one of the common misconceptions with emerging markets uh, in general is that they tend to be commodity producers. Uh, but over the last five to 10 years, you know, a lot of emerging markets have moved away from that being, you know, a lot of them tend to be, um, you know, tech producers or whatnot. Um, but I think, you know, going forward, I think, um, you know, the emerging markets tend to be a lot more conservative in their uh, the way they manage their balance sheets. Um, so because of that, I think, you know, the emerging markets going forward, once we pass this crisis, it could be a good way to um, get additional yield in the portfolio. Um, and also, you know, from a risk perspective, it's not, it may not be as risky as people thought, you know, five to 10 years ago. Um, so again, you know, when, when we, our emerging market bond ETF essentially uses a different approach. Uh, we use a GDP approach. Uh, so instead of using a market cap weighted approach, which in this space would essentially overweight those uh, issuers or countries that issue the most debt, uh, what we did was use the GDP approach. So it essentially you know, overweights those countries that have a stronger GDP profile. So it's a it's a different take on on emerging markets, but you know in our opinion, it's a the more efficient exposure into the emerging market bond space. Great, thank you, Alfred. You've done an excellent job walking through the fixed income universe and giving us a market update. So thank you very much and have a great day. Thank you to Mark and Alfred for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard some valuable insights on the state of the fixed income universe, including how BMO ETFs can help investors trade up in quality through a corporate bond exposure and explore new opportunities abroad with a GDP-based approach to emerging markets. For more information about these strategies, we encourage you to contact your regional BMO ETF specialist. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please contact Andrew Vachon at A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at BMO.com. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment tax or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.